Artemis endeavors to get more women in the field and on the water. To support women as leaders in the conservation movement. To ensure the vitality of our lands, waters, and wildlife. Artemis endeavors to change the face of conservation. everyone, welcome to the Artemis Podcast. I am your host, Marsha Brownlee, and our co-host today is Ashley Chance. Ashley, how's it going? It's going. It's going pretty well, actually. Nice. So we are just back from uh, summer break, and WF is generous enough to give us the whole week off this year for um, Fourth of July week. So Ashley and I had a week off, and and now we're back. <laughs> How was your week <laughs> off, Ashley? It was great. It was searingly hot I mean it was so 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 hot here um that part was a little bit of a struggle but I was outside with Charlie and my husband every day we went to some new cool places that are close to the house that we had never gone to see before so it was great how was yours nice yeah it was the same I stuck local um I had some other obligations so I wasn't able to to do a lot of um traveling but you know just those those lazy weeks when you can spend all day outside um uh, and explore new trails and get high enough to see the wildflowers still in bloom. And it was delightful. It was not seriously hot. It was actually quite rainy here, um, which is unusual. We had a fair number of thunderstorms, uh, but it was still, it was lovely. Yeah. Well, nice. welcome back. We're going to have a productive week. <laughs> yep, we are. <laughs> Our guest today is Maddie Shaheen. Maddie, hi. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to talk with you. Thank you for joining us today. Like, I'm very excited to be here. Uh, we start our podcasts with a little bit of a warm-up question, and our warm-up question today is, what's your favorite summer activity? I love, oh gosh, that's a tough one to pick. Uh, if I were to pick the, my top one, it would be rock climbing. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I try to get out as much as I can. Yeah, and you're in Colorado, right? Uh, yes, I am in Netherland, Colorado. Um, so the rock climbing is plentiful. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the crags are getting busier every day. Um, I try to go out during the uh, weekdays and I also have uh, some secret backcountry spots that myself and my crag partner go to. So to avoid the crowds. Yeah, it was, I was actually thinking um, in, in the week off that I just had, because I think everywhere is getting a little bit busier every day. Um, but certainly in, in places like Colorado and Montana, um, the, yeah, it's amazing the workarounds that locals will devise in order to, um, get that solitude or that less traveled trail. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. How did you start rock climbing? Um, I always had this desire to, I would look at a rock and I just wanted to climb it and <laughs> I was doing it unsafely sometimes or um, I do it without protection, uh, even just when I was out hiking. Um, and then I uh, went to the gym a couple of times and it just wasn't satisfying enough for me. Um, and then I met my neighbor and um, they were into climbing and uh, they were my mentor and took me out and I am just hooked ever since. Nice. Yeah. Maddie, tell us a little bit about who you are. Um, I am um, an educator at heart. I uh, started my journey as a, as a science classroom teacher, a public, a, a public school teacher in high school. Um, and I did that for many years, eight years to be precise. And then I kind of got to a fork in the road where I had to I was burnt out in the classroom teaching chemistry and biology in a classroom without a lab um, it was pretty stressful and it was a fork in the road where I had to decide what I was doing um, and I really enjoyed working with youth so I decided I was going to go ahead and uh, go back to school and get my degree in in, in counseling um, and that's what I did um, and I was a school counselor for nine years um, thereafter. <clears throat> um, and then uh, that burnout uh, unfortunately happened again. And I came and came to another fork in the road in my life professionally. Um, and I had to decide what I was going to do. And uh, therapy and counseling 
was really my passion. So I pursued my professional license in, in counseling. Um, and that's something that I pursue. Um, but I also enjoy my work full-time with Lincoln Hills Cares, um, which, which I'm really passionate about working with underprivileged youth, um, having giving them exposure and access to the outdoors, science education in the outdoors, um, and really exploring what nature can do for them. It's interesting because I think, uh, you know, I started in education as well. Um, and uh, I, it was a nature-based classroom where I was able to work with kids in, in the outdoors. And I think that helped a little bit with prolonging or not prolonging. Um, I was going to say prolonging the burnout, which is not the right place. <laughs> Maybe hey, that's a Freudian. That is that's a Freudian. <laughs> it is for sure. Um, uh, but I, yeah, I'm curious because uh, teaching and counseling are both um, very demanding and very rewarding, but very demanding careers. Where I think that idea of um, taking care of yourself is challenging. And I'm curious how that feels now that you're able to do your work in the outdoors and, and what that has felt like um, in this last leg of your journey. They, it's, it's very great that you asked that. And it's, it's really cool to know that you have an education background as well. So you know that burnout is real for all educators. Um, and I was living for the summers really and doing the grind fall and spring in the classroom in the school building. And I just would be counting down just like all educators do waiting for summer break. And then I could really, I felt like I could live my life um, to the way that I wanted to live it. Other than sleeping in, I was able to, of course, be in the outdoors and mountain bike and rock climb. And it's so important for, for educators to be able to do that self-care throughout the school year. But the job is so demanding. The expectations are so high consistently um, that the, the time for self-care is very far and few in between and really I feel all educators live for their breaks they live mm -hmm. for Thanksgiving break and then Christmas break and um, winter break if you're lucky and uh, of course then spring break and all educators just look forward to summer every year uh, I didn't realize I was going to be doing the school year calendar for 17 years of my life <laughs> right out of college um, but this was my first year, not in a school building, not following a school calendar. Oh, wow. And life has been very different. Yeah, I, it's funny you mentioned the breaks because I remember as an educator, yes, looking forward to spring break and looking forward to winter break, but then immediately getting sick, <laughs> you know, because I finally <laughs> stopped long enough for my body to uh, to react and have an immune response. Um, so I hope That's you're past that now. <laughs> Immune response to your job. That is, that is rough. That is super rough. <laughs> oh, the struggle is real. Um, uh, so this is your first year out of the classroom. Yeah, <laughs> out of the school building. Yeah, it was definitely yeah. surreal. Um, when I made the decision of not returning back to the school system, um, it was a, a, a real dilemma. It was a conundrum. It just, part of it felt right. Another part of me felt like I was a traitor in some way. I was betraying my students. I was betraying the school system. I just had, didn't know anything else either for 17 years. That's all I had done. So, and there was this fear of, holy cow, my life is going to not be the same anymore. And am I going to hate it? Am I going to just be lost? And that feeling was really scary at first. Um, and then just like a lot of people say, life just kind of happens and you got to go with the flow. And that's exactly what happened. And that's when Lincoln Hills became a part of my, my full-time life. And I couldn't have been more fortunate and just in the right place at the right time where Lincoln Hills scooped me up and 
made me a full-time employee of theirs and I became the um, environmental STEM and I'll refer that to eSTEM a lot um, as the eSTEM pathway coordinator. So tell us more about Lincoln Hills. Absolutely. Um, Lincoln Hills Cares is an amazing organization. Um, We're a nonprofit 503B that work with underprivileged youth. We have several different branches of what we do. Um, and the one that I'm working for um, is the Environmental STEM Pathway, which is brand new. It was envisioned and spearheaded by the late Dr. Nate Howard, Nathaniel Howard III. Um, and he approached me in July. Um, I actually was with Lincoln Hills Cares in a different capacity each summer. Um, Lincoln Hills was my summer job for two summers where I was the outdoor science educator. That was my way of of enjoying my life and self-care as well and still giving back to the youth. And I was doing outdoor science education um, where we had underprivileged youth come up to our site at 8,100 feet in Blackhawk, Colorado, and we do science lessons with with youth and I was the science educator. So it was my way of, of living my science teacher dreams in the outdoors and not be stuck in a classroom. Um, nice. And then, like I said, Dr. Nathaniel Howard had envisioned this East End pathway. Um, he saw my potential, believed in me and brought me on board and offered me a full-time position to be the pathway coordinator. Um, and I couldn't have been more overjoyed um, <clears throat> I was thrilled, I was excited, and I didn't even hesitate, and I said, said yes immediately. I was able to work with him for about two months, so we worked together for the entire month of August, and then a little bit of September, so I guess not even a full two months. I had had some exchanges with him, some connection with him. We had met a couple times because of Lincoln Hills. He was a part of Lincoln Hills as well, um, but then suddenly... Um, mid-September he passed away and uh, that was really difficult for this new budding program myself it was just the team was him and I so I was on my own for um, a really long fall it felt like a lot of feelings a lot of mixed emotions but I had this feeling of feeling responsible in some ways to carry the torch and I wanted to continue his vision. I wanted to do the work and bring to fruition what he had started for us at Lincoln Hills and East End Pathway Coordinating. Um, and then Dr. Patterson came on board in December. We were so excited. She was the treasurer for the board and she was, um, the position was open, she applied and we were overjoyed to have her. So it's now a team of two again, herself and I, um, and um, we are running the environmental STEM pathway at Lincoln Hills. The other two pathways are, of course, the outdoor science education that happens in the summer. Um, and then also our pathways program, uh, which we're looking, a new, looking for a new name for that eventually. Um, but what that's doing is they're, that they're connecting careers in the outdoors for you. Oh, cool. Oh, that's wonderful. And we're building. And the idea is now, um, Dr. Patterson's vision is now to to com combine all three programs and pathways and have a succinct, succinct vision um, and, a, and a common goal for what we do. What age do you work with primarily? So uh, the environmental STEM program is ge geared mostly um, in, to the school um, system, to the classrooms. So we have previously worked with middle and high school. We are looking to branch out to elementary schools as well. And so are you mostly uh, uh, connected to school programs? So like kids will come as a part of a school trip? Yeah. So what we did was with, with Dr. Howard's vision was we are using the national curriculum of trout in the classroom. And we're bringing that to science classrooms and aligning that to the, to the national um, general science curriculum standards. Um, and we're using the framework of Trout in the Classroom um, to be able to bring that enrichment and different ways to engage youth in the outdoors. So using Trout in the Classroom as a framework, we're then providing enrichment. We have an outdoor environmental STEM lab here at Lincoln Hills at our property. 
in Blackhawk that we run. And um, we also partner with, and really what our work is really partnering with other organizations to strengthen what we do. So Colorado Parks and Wildlife is an ally and a great partner. We're partnering with Aurora and Denver Water. Um, also the idea is to connect youth with higher education. So we will be partnering with Red Rocks Community College and their water quality management department. Um, and the more partnerships we can have, um, I think the more work we can do um, and bring environmental awareness stewardship, environmental stewardship, conservation, and sustainability is our goal. Are you, is it primarily the Denver area kids or do you extend past that into the rest of Colorado? Right now we're definitely focused on the front range, definitely um, focused on underprivileged youth of Aurora Public Schools, Denver okay. Public Schools. We've also worked with 27J, which is part of Commerce City um, area as well. So the idea is to provide up access and opportunity to those who would usually not have access to the outdoors. Um, so a lot of BIPOC um, students of color um, and uh, lower socioeconomic backgrounds. Is the fly fishing program that we collaborated on a part of your work at Lincoln Hills Cares or is that something separate? Yes, and that was my vision from uh, actually when I first started at Lincoln Hills as an outdoor science educator. Um, we were doing some fly fishing as just a little bit of casting with the help of a fly fishing instructor. But what my vision was myself not having grown up fishing um, and working at Lincoln Hills, people would ask, so do you fish? And my <laughs> response was no, and it was quite embarrassing sometimes. And I wanted to change that for, for youth. Um, so the vision was to provide 101 clinics so that kids can be exposed to it from a young age and know how to do all of it and not just experience it one time. Um, but I wanted them to know the, 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 the anatomy of, of what entirely goes on to know how to rig a, a rod, know how to do the the the, the fly tying, not, not necessarily the fly tying, but all the different knots that are required um, and really what fly fishing was all about. And that's how Lady Anglers came about is I pitched the idea to Dr. Patterson and I said, well, well, if we're working with the schools in spring and fall, I don't want to be sitting around twiddling my thumb, not doing anything in, in the summer. And I presented to her the idea of lady anglers, which would be for BIPOC females ages eight through 21 um, to have lady anglers fishing 101, where they would learn the, the basics, the nitty gritty, and then be able to take that skill and use that forever. Okay, I have a million questions, um, which is fantastic. It's such a fantastic program. I'm curious for eight to 21, um, are they together? Is it, does it, does each lesson span that age or are they separate out, separated out a little bit more? So with the partners that we're working with, what's, what's happening is the age groups are automatically getting separated. Um, so most organizations work with different age groups so yep. the organizations that we're working with, yes, they end up being delineated into different age, age brackets. Mm -hmm. And um, Andre Egley has been a great partner through Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And I asked, I asked him and I said, hey, what age should, should we start at? And he said, you know, eight is really that age when, when kids are starting to understand and they're able to grasp the concepts of fly fishing and um, I wanted it to extend all the way to age 21 um, because there are still people at age 20 and 21 who have never been able to to fish so I wanted to open up the opportunity to all those ages. That's very cool. Um, it could it could be fun to have an opportunity like for an alumni return event so everybody can get together because I think cool things can happen when you have um, everybody from eight years old to 21 years old could be fun. You know, that would be so really, really cool. And, uh, just being, having piloted it for this first summer, um, I'll definitely take that and, uh, put that in the back of my head and yeah. for something in the future. So yeah, absolutely. Thanks for that idea. 
Yeah. Um, my other question is, does it, I'm curious, um, it seems like there could be some interesting overlap between this program and the trout curriculum that you are doing. Um, have you, yeah, is that at all connected? Yeah, so we're looking this uh, coming school year now that uh, both the programs are past their infant stage and in their toddler stage now kind of up and up and moving um, we kind of have an idea of where we would like this to go um, what I would like to see ha happen is to collaborate with the schools that we will be hosting trout in the classroom with and then combining the the angling program in there as well so the idea would be to do the trout in the classroom program for the school year and then transition into the summer and do the fly fishing 101 so absolutely you read my mind on that I love it yeah. Um, Ashley, I feel like I've been <laughs> hammering away with the questions. Do you have any you want to jump in here with? I mean, I feel like this has been very interesting to listen to for somebody who has like slight history in education besides being the receive recipient of education. <laughs> um, but I, one of the things that struck me at the outset of this conversation is just Maddie, you going, you know, kind of completely 180 and the bravery that is required to make a shift like you did in your life. And I don't know, that really struck me. And I feel like there's been junctures in my own life where I've experienced that feeling of, you know, you've worked hard for something or invested a lot of yourself into getting to a point professionally or even personally. And then you feel like you're in a box and you feel like, yeah. you know, this is what I signed up for. This is what I said I would do. This is who I tell people I am. So this is it. <laughs> <laughs> but to recognize when that is not serving you anymore and when you are unsatisfied. And then, like I said, to be brave enough to actually make a switch. I just feel like great things are born from that. And it sounds like, as to what I've heard thus far in this conversation, there's a handful of wonderful things. So I just want to hear more. I don't, what is the trout in the classroom. I'm not familiar with that at all. How does Absolutely. That work? Um, trout in the classroom is a nationwide curriculum that is established through Trout Unlimited, which is also nationwide. Um, I definitely, unfortunately, don't know enough to speak on their behalf entirely, but what they do is amazing work. I'm working with the Denver Trout Unlimited chapter, and the idea behind Trout in the Classroom is the framework where students have a fresh water tank in their classroom and they are raising fish, trout fish eggs in their classroom and doing a curriculum aligned to that um, using an, an experiential and inquiry-based and question-based learning program. They're watching these fish hatch, these eggs hatch, the, they're feeding the fish, they're doing water changes, they're making sure the water quality is, is up to par, the temperature of the water. These fish are wild fish, of course, trout are, these are wild trout fish that are, the eggs are obtained from Carbondale, the Crystal River in Carbondale, Colorado, um, really fragile, and they get about 200 eggs each school year, and they're supposed to care for them. It really enhances and, and has the, the youth take on leadership and responsibility. So it's not just science that they're doing. There's so many other soft skills and life skills that they're learning along the way um, that it's, it's just an amazing program. And then what they're doing is um, they're doing other enrichments throughout the year is what we're providing. We're taking them on different trips. And um, last, year, last year, we did a trip to the Denver Aquarium. This school year, we're partnering with Aurora Water. We're going to look at water management. We're going to look at watershed um, and watershed rights. Um, so, so in interdisciplinary, this curriculum is not just science. And that's what attracted uh, Dr. Howard to it. And I became a, a strong believer in what Trout in the Classroom does. And then what they're doing is in the spring, once the fish are about two to three inches long, they're coming up to Lincoln Hills at our property. We have a private lake called Lake, lake Pactolis, and that's where the kids are releasing these fish um, as a culminating activity um, after a year long of caring for them um, and being responsible for these little fishies. So wow. it's really great to watch these kids learn and grow and become leaders and, and take on responsibility 
for these for these live organisms in their classrooms. That is so cool. This reminds me, you know, when I was, I don't know, first grade, second grade, I don't remember exactly when it was, but, you know, we caught caterpillars that became monarch butterflies and that happened in the classroom. And that was so cool. I, I still remember that as an adult. And honestly, you know, at this point in my life, I have, you know, I completed high school and then have two higher education science degrees. And I can promise you that through my entire academic career up until my senior year of high school, I didn't think I liked science. Like I didn't think it was interesting or even, (laughs) I feel like I didn't even have a good grasp on what it was. And I went to like a run of the mill, upper middle class, you know, school system is what I went through. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, gosh, I was underserved. I didn't even know that my career field existed until I'd already been in college for a year for something unrelated. Like, I don't know. I think what you're doing is incredible. And I feel like you know, especially for at-risk youth, but for any youth to just have a wider view of the world and what's, what can happen and how things are connected. I just think it's wonderful. Thanks for acknowledging that. Yes, absolutely. And that career exploration, I feel has to start way, way sooner than we're actually doing in the, in the classrooms or in, in, and in the schools. And with Trout in the classroom, there's so many environmental STEM related fields that the kids are getting exposed to at a very young age, at an early stage. And we're able to bring in different speakers, different professionals um, from Parks and Wildlife, from the Denver, uh, from the uh, Federal Aquatics and uh, uh, Department as well, and uh, higher education. So they know that there are so many other careers in the natural outdoors. Um, There is water quality management. Um, There's so many environmental organizations that are um, partaking in sustainability and conservation. So there's so many different areas within the Trout in the Classroom curriculum that help open up these young minds and expose them to all the different possibilities. So yeah, absolutely. That's what this program does is opens up these minds and gives them the opportunity and access and allows them to see that there's so much more in science than just say being a nurse or a doctor or, or, or just like, a, you know, this is something that we've always heard about, but that there's so much more to environmental STEM education. I'm curious too, with your experience, both in the traditional classroom and now your experience in a non-traditional classroom. Um, yeah, if what you've noticed there in regards to how people, how kids connect with the curriculum. That's an awesome question. And I would also want to answer it from another perspective as well as from the school system perspective from what I've seen as well. But I'll address the, 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 the kids' perspective first is at first, they're just not sure what to expect. And there's some apprehension. There's some, I guess, lack of preparedness. Mm-hmm. Many of the, the urban youth of Denver, even though born and raised in the Front Range metro Denver area, have had, unfortunately, have not had the opportunity to, to get out into the hills and experience nature in the outdoors. So that part has been quite interesting to see them make that, that um, what word am I looking for? Kind of a, it's not even an adjustment because that happens really quickly because kids we all know are so malleable, so adaptable. Um, but at first they're unsure, but once they, once they arrive, the wide eyed looks and the jaw dropping expressions on their faces and this desire to take it all in and absorb and want to be present and ask questions and be inquisitive and be curious, that is absolutely priceless. And that is unfortunately not seen when the work, the science work is done in a classroom. Um, It's kind of seen when it's done in 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 a lab classroom maybe during an experiment, but there's so many other distractions. there's unfortunately there's phones in the school there's mm-hmm. there's technology i'm not saying that technology is bad by any means but once they come to our outdoor environmental stem lab 
Um, we don't even have cell phone service up here. So they are completely engaged, they're immersed, they're learning, they're growing, um, and they're experiencing just something absolutely new. So they're embracing it. Um, the kids are actually enjoying it. And then when they, after they leave, they, they actually, when I go back to their classrooms, they are always able to come back to the, to the experience and say, hey, when we were up there, we did this. So it's really good to see that they take these experiences with them and hold on to them. And I think that's just invaluable and they just hang on. It's just a lifelong then experience for them that they can take with them forever. Um, mm -hmm. So being able to expose them to the outdoors and learning in the environment, being able to look at macro invertebrates right at the lake, and using a dichotomous key to identify these macroorganisms and then take a water sample and take it to the microscope um, and be able to look at the microorganisms and again, use a dichotomous key, um, be able to um, do the um, water quality testing right there at the lake. Um, all of these things that they get to do is all hands-on inquiry and experiential based. So. Um, yeah, it's really great to see them learn and grow with that and, and light bulbs going off when you see them making connections. It's just so amazing. It's, oh, that it's, it seems like such a, I don't even know the word, um, so astonishing to think about learning taking place in the absence of a screen or the internet in today's world. And I feel like I love that so much. Actually, yesterday evening, our power in our whole neighborhood was out. I don't know why. It goes out kind of frequently here. Um, and so we came home and it was like Charlie's bedtime, but she needs a sound machine to sleep. So we just opened up the window and I just rocked her in front of the window and the crickets were happening and there was no lights anywhere because there was oh, no wow. power. Yeah. It, it was just like such a button that it was like, this is actually where we are in this moment. Like it wasn't the TV on. I wasn't rushing to get her to sleep so that I could do something else because there's no lights, there's nothing to do. <laughs> and I just, I could feel a shift inside of me. And I feel like learning in the kind of context that you've described where, like you said, those distractions that we become kind of numb or accustomed to are not there. I imagine that everyone is very much fully immersed in what's happening and that I would Posit more learning is taking place. Like mm -hmm. that's going to be retained, right? After the mm -hmm. fact. Absolutely. Um, you could do the same exact things in a classroom, right? You can study under a microscope and, and you can do water quality testing for your classroom of the water coming out of the faucets. And, and yes, that is being done, but that comparative study and the out and what they're doing out in nature is, yeah, like you say, it's just really you can't compare that to any other type of learning at all. It's true experiential learning. And I appreciate just knowing the tough spot that schools and teachers are in that your program does come with data to be like, no, this is, this is, this is how it works. This is what they're learning. This is how they're learning. And unfortunately, this is how it can help your test scores, right? Like <laughs> yeah. the fact that you provide that data is, is invaluable. Yeah. Um, our saving uh, Grace, I guess, is the fact that the Trout in the Curriculum Trout in the Classroom curriculum is aligned to the next generation science standards. And that is really how we sell it. And we really have to, unfortunately, we have to sell it. Um, there's so many schools that we reached out to that we wanted to do this with. We told them that this is not going to cost you anything. There's no really anything that you guys need to provide. Just give us access to your students, allow us to inform your teachers. I also do a professional development piece with the teachers where we uh, give them STEM accredited lesson plan learning and, and professional development. So all the resources we're providing, there's no um, financial responsibilities or anything. That's but great. of course, admin is always skeptical of, of, okay, so how many times are you gonna get the kids outside of the classroom? We're gonna lose time. They have tests right. to do, we have curriculum to meet. So that has definitely been, unfortunately, that has been the only barrier um, to the work that we do is being able to have access to, to the classrooms and, and 
Teachers also, unfortunately, they want to do the program, they want to do the trout in the classroom, but they're also feeling like they have their hands tied because they have uh, a curriculum to complete and mm -hmm. test scores to meet. Mm -hmm. But there are some brave educators out there and I um, definitely want to give them kudos. Um, one teacher that we worked with last year, who was one of our first teachers, she was our model teacher, really. She really took it on, made it just so so available to her students she went above and beyond and I really really hope um, we can convince really more educators to take on our program we were able to grow and I'm super proud of our growth we went from one school last year as our first beginner beginning pilot program to now in two schools and we went from one tank and we grew now to four tanks so oh. I totally see this as a win that's fantastic we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors, but before we do that, Maddie, can you tell people where they can find more information um, about Lincoln Hills Cares and about the um, Lady Anglers program? Absolutely. Um, LincolnHillsCares.org um, is our website, and if you navigate over to our programs, you will find in the drop-down menu our Eastem Pathway um, program as well. We're still in the works of putting Lady Anglers on the website. It is a work in progress, um, but you will definitely find um, information about our East End Pathway on LincolnHillsCares.org. Excellent. We'll be right back. Howdy, Artemis listeners. This is Aaron Kindle from NWF Outdoors. We know you love awesome conservation conversations. That's why we want to invite you to check out the NWF Outdoors podcast, where we dive deep into the issues, people, and places that showcase the best of the sporting conservation lifestyle. Guests include leaders, luminaries, and decision makers who define conservation and work tirelessly for fish and wildlife. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts or at nwfoutdoors.org. Okay, welcome back. For the lady English then, um, is this like as, as a summer camp model open to anybody to register or how does that work? So we are definitely opening it up to, to anyone, but we are truly hopeful that um, people of, of youth of color, especially those who identify as females will take this on. So we have reached out to many organizations like Girls Inc, um, Girls Trek, those the, the the two that immediately right off the top of my head come to mind. And then also um, we have a an organization called Mercy Housing. They work with underprivileged section eight youth as well. Um, so I'm I'm reaching out to as many different organizations that host and have youth um, in their summer programs um, who could benefit from this programming. I think your background as a teacher and an outdoors person and a counselor is a really beautiful combination. And I'm curious how those intersect for you in the work that you do now. I am super excited to, to hear you acknowledge that. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me. It's really heartwarming. Um, I am truly living my best life in, on so many dimensions and so many levels um, and being able to have all these the, the trifecta is how I feel it is now, really. Um, being as having been a science teacher, um, having, having been a, a mental health professional, um, and now working with an amazing nonprofit like Lincoln Hills, and my passion for the outdoors, it's a win-win for me in so many ways. I get to do what I enjoy and what I'm good at and what I love doing, and be able to continue working with youth because um, when I was leaving the school system, the school district, um, I was I was concerned. I wasn't sure if I'd be able to still work with youth and and be of service really to the next generation. So I'm really fortunate to be able to do what I what I love and really living my best life um, allows me a lot of personal um, self care time, a lot of personal time and freedom to pursue my own interests and hobbies and bring that and ex expose my my love for the outdoors to to urban youth being an urban youth of Denver myself having grown up in Denver I'm an East High School alum 
Um, and um, yeah, it's just a dream come true, really. I'm honestly just in, I, I, I wake up every day and I want to pinch myself and, mm-hmm. and uh, um, yeah, it's quite unbelievable, but I am super happy and this is exactly where I was supposed to be. Took me a while to get here, um, but I'm super happy to be here. And uh, tell us about your own journey to learn how to fly fish. Are you going to be able to do that as part of the summer course that you're pulling together? Yeah, I've been really fortunate to be able to um, have a lot of friends in my life who I've met along the way, um, who I, who have exposed me um, to the outdoors. Um, I'll briefly mention the Uncharted Outdoors Women happened to my life. And with that, I've met a lot of amazing females um, who have kind of taken me under their wing. Um, they know me as the one who really doesn't like to fly fish, but I will hang out with them. Um, <laughs> I really enjoy just being out in nature. I really enjoy um, looking at the landscapes. I really enjoy, because um, really I think fly fishing is a science. I never knew that before I was exposed to it as much as I am now. Um, and it's really intriguing to me to, to know where the fish are, where they're going to be. Um, nymphology is absolutely mind blowing and extensive that I never knew existed. Um, so I myself have learned um, and grown so much, if I may say so myself proudly, I know all my knots um, and Yay. I can rig a rod. <laughs> um, I personally, for whatever reason, I prefer using a Tenkara rod over a real rod. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, I, I really enjoy that process. I love the simplicity of Tenkara fishing mm-hmm. um, and how how convenient it is for me to be able to put everything in my backpack and walk a lot of miles and be, be able to, to dip a rod in, in the stream. Um, so that, that's uh, definitely my journey that has been in fly fishing. I wanna get better at it. I wanna fish more. I wanna, um, I don't know if I'll ever be super, super passionate about it. And that's what I'd only be doing just because I do so many other activities. Um, but I definitely will be fly fishing in my life. Um, as much as I can. I just feel like I tell a lot of my my girlfriends, <laughs> I have a lot of other hobbies and a lot of other passions. So mm-hmm. I'm adding fly fishing um, to that list um, when I'm not either out rock climbing or um, mountain biking. Um, I also whitewater kayak. Um, and then of course, in the winter time, I snowboard. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I have a lot of hobbies, but definitely fly fishing. Now I can probably add it to my list of things I do. <laughs> And I love Tenkara fishing. I, I don't have a rod myself, but I have some friends who do that exclusively. And so whenever I hang out with them by the river, I get to borrow their rod and try it out. And I think, you, well, two things. One, I think it, given the other outdoor pursuits that you have, it's super easy to just toss that Tenkara rod in the pack and mm-hmm. so lightweight and simple that uh, it it doesn't require much thought. Um, but it is um, really an interesting, what I find for me is that it allows me to pay more attention to the river and less attention to my line. And Mm. it allows me to focus on different types of casts because I'm aiming for um, precision and not distance. I find when I have my other rod on these big Montana rivers that all I can focus on is the fact that I can't cast very far. <laughs> the Tenkara rod just takes that out of the conversation entirely. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that because uh, um, I, I I have done the the real fly fishing as well, and it's definitely I just wasn't sure how long my my tippet needed to be um, mm. in order to, to to cast. But yeah, I'm able to do so much more with my casting, and that's to be honest, out of all the things that fishing has to offer, I think casting has got to be my most favorite thing to do because mm-hmm. it, it gives me the most active pursuit is what it is, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, allows me to be the more most active and more, most intentional. And I like being intentional with my casting. So, um, mm-hmm. so that's something that I've really enjoyed with Tenkara fishing. Ashley, have you ever tried the Tenkara rod? No, I've been trying to see how long you guys could talk about it before I'd figure out what it is. But I have been, I have been unveiled over here, so do tell. Uh, do you want to go ahead, Maddie? 
please, you you know way more about it than I do. Yeah, so the tenkara rod, it's um, a Japanese tradition uh, and it's a fly rod, but it doesn't have a reel. The line just attaches directly to the rod. Um, and so you have a limited uh, finite amount of fly line and tippet that you're working with. Um, and so it's really great for working on smaller creeks and streams um, and yeah. Is just you don't have to worry about feeding the line out or pulling it in, um, and it's just a one-handed cast. This sounds like the thing for me. <laughs> it's also really good for kids. It's a great way for kids to um, start fly fishing because again, there's there's it limits the number of things that they have to think about. And is it collapsible? Is that what I was hearing yep. as well? Yep. That's cool. It is. I, I ended up getting the the Tenkara USA rod, which after my research was one of the nicest ones to get. I'm so glad I did. Um, and they're telescopic. So um, you just pull them out and then you put them right in and they're like maybe a foot and a half in length when all said and done, when they're retracted all the way and just they just go in a backpack. So it's been really cool to be able to walk a certain distance and not have to carry a bunch of things with me um, as in to a rod and the reel and all that. So. I wanted, I'm a simplistic person as well. So yeah, Tinkara really attracted me to it. And that was what we were using at Lincoln Hills in our summer program as well. We still do for our outdoor science uh, program. And I just saw how, how, how much the kids were enjoying it and how easy it was um, to use. And that's what kind of attracted me to it. And I was pulled towards it. And I'm so glad I got it. And uh, thanks to, I definitely want to thank Artemis for um, making their generous donation of fishing nets for us, for lady anglers as well. Um, and the type of nets that Artemis was able to, is it Artemis? Am I saying it right? Yep. Um, thank you. Um, that Artemis was able to donate to us. It's perfect for Tenkara fishing because the rods are longer. They're 36 inch, um, not the rods, I meant the um, the nets. the nets are yeah the net handles are way longer and the net itself is longer um so it's easier to uh scoop up the the, the fish um on the line so uh thank you so much to artemis that we, they were able to help us and we were able to get our lady english program and our stuff kind of together we also had uh tinkara boulder donate us three rods as well so super super grateful for that as well that's awesome. Yeah, it was uh, Crystal Ugly, who's on our leadership team, connected me to you um, to let me know about this awesome program. So we're, yeah, I'm just excited for the work that you're doing and, and grateful that you're doing it. Thank you so much for supporting us. Uh, Ashley, I was going to transition to story time, but do you have any questions you want to ask first? No, we can go to story time. I, okay, one thing. <laughs> it's not so much a question, but well, I would love to hear, Marsha, I think I know maybe what your answer is, but Maddie, um, when you're talking about the Tenkara rod and how, you know, it takes seeing how far you can cast out of the equation. I feel like I have a lot of staying power when it comes to hunting. Like I, you know, whether it was my childhood deer hunting with my dad or my years of trying to capture deer for research, like I can sit somewhere for a very long time. <laughs> <laughs> longer than is healthy physically. Um, but when it comes to fishing, I am like, oh, it's gotta be that water over there. It's gotta be, you know, and I'm not even good at casting anyway. So it's very self-defeatist. Um, but I'm always looking around the next bend when it comes to fishing. And I would love to know where you two fall on that spectrum. Um, I hit that's un unfortunately that is one of the reasons why I haven't really truly been drawn to fly fishing. Um, as much because I like to move around um, and just the standing around can get a little stressful for me and a little boring for me um, but with the Tenkara I notice is um, I think the idea is since it's more for stream fishing um, there's a lot, little bit more movement I believe that's involved and you're you're accessing different parts of the stream and the river um, so it gives me a little bit more movement is why I personally enjoy it versus say lake fishing um, 
were you just kind of standing around for a little too long? Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, But yeah, so movement for me is really, really huge. Even right now, um, during this podcast, I'm actually walking now because I've been sitting for an hour. (laughs) So uh, I need some movement in my life. Ashley, I'm curious what, what, how you would answer that question for me. I feel like you are cool with sitting in one spot and taking it all in, but maybe not. No, you're, you're spot on. I can spend two hours in a 20 foot stretch of river. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Perfectly Mm -hmm. contained. Cool. Okay. I was, yeah. On to story time. (laughs) (laughs) Maddie, is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we transition? Um, just a little bit more about our East End Pathway program. Um, I, we, we are looking absolutely to still expand and grow. We're looking for more partnerships. Um, we want the right partnerships um, is what we're doing and really looking to solidify um, what and how we are going to, to, to carry on with our East End Pathway programming and how we can collaborate with our other um, pathways within the Lincoln Hills CARES system um, and have this cohesive collaborative approach um, where we can provide opportunity and access to 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 the outdoors and environmental education. That's wonderful. Uh, Everybody check out Lincoln Hills CARES. Um, They do cool work and I'm grateful that you joined us today to share it, Maddie. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Can you tell us a story of one of your favorite memories from in the field or on the water? You know, what really stands out the most is my experience with the East End Pathway recently and with youth visiting our lake and us doing our field work. it's just really, it's been, it was actually just happened. We, we had our summer group up um, with Mercy Housing and um, these, these youth had never been outdoors really. I mean, their outdoors was their neighborhood park. They had never been up to the mountains um, and they were just in awe when they visited and we did some macro invertebrate studies at the lake. And I, the first rock that I picked up and turned over, lo and behold, voila, there's five different invertebrates on the rock. And just to see the look on all of their faces was so priceless, Mm -hmm. wide-eyed and just open mouth. Um, And then for them to look at the dichotomous key and say, wow, this looks like a like a miz, this looks like a stonefly. Um, and for, for me to hear all of that was just absolutely priceless and made it all worthwhile, the planning and all the work that we do before they come visit with us. It was just so worthwhile. Um, so really my time on the river and also of course on, on the lake where we, where, where we do most of our labs um, is just to see the youth learning and growing with these experiences. Um, I was, again, I got very lucky that the first big rock that I picked up had all of them. Um, It doesn't always happen that way, but it was so cool for them to see. And then of course, to take the water sample, take it under a microscope and and really learn how to use the microscope um, as well in the process. Um, So many of them hadn't even used a microscope before. These were um, students of grade, I think five, I believe Mm. is what we had. Yeah, they were like sponges. They were just taking it all in. Um, And just for them to be able to take the sample themselves, um, dip a cup into the lake and bring it over to their tables and just learn how to use a microscope on the spot. Um, So the water studies are just absolutely amazing. I I enjoy water myself so much. There's so much to be learned um, from water, about water. Um, such a it's such a, an important resource um, and unfortunately a finite resource that um, something that I am very passionate about of, for conserving um, and sustainably fishing sustainably using our resources um, so I guess my story for that would be just to see these these young this, the young kids just really explore and and 
to see these macroinvertebrates in this lake that they had never even thought of. Because when we do the, our initial talk about, um, hey, what do you think lives in the water? They talk about, oh, fish, plants, and mm -hmm. macroinvertebrates don't even come into the, into the equation until we actually see them. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, that would be my story for that. That's awesome. Um, turning over rocks is still one of my favorite pastimes. <laughs> Are you into nymphology a little bit? You know, um, uh, recreationally, <laughs> I, I just love, I still, I mean, uh, Maggie Human, who's one of our leaders, does these amazing um, webinars and educational uh, classes on um, on bugs and, and their different stages and how they relate to fly fishing. Um, and I've learned a lot from her, but none of it like sticks. <laughs> <laughs> so right now I'm in that stage where I just love turning rocks over and looking for the different bugs. Um, but I, I couldn't tell you their names. <laughs> I'm learning slowly but surely myself. Yeah. Um, well, that's wonderful. Thank you for sharing. It's, it's very cool to imagine those days on the water. Definitely. Okay, our closer is hits and misses. Uh, Maddie, this is where we ask the question, what have you been aiming for lately and how did it go? And it can be about absolutely anything. Ashley, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, I've been <clears throat> aiming to get outside more over this past week, not working. I feel like I, we definitely did that. I went riding, it was amazing. And um, I would say the big hit, we, we were walking through the neighborhood it was yesterday morning or maybe the morning before. Um, but I had Charlie on my back. I was with my husband and there was this doe that was just standing like 25 yards off the road. My husband actually spotted her and we stopped and watched her. She was just standing there. She didn't have any phones with her, so they must've died, but, um, it's a good sized doe and, you know, it would have been a perfect shot <laughs> if I had my <laughs> bow and it was hunting season. And I was able to show Charlie the deer. And I just felt like, you know, we're gearing up for, um, the deer camp here in Tennessee in October, and it's going to be archery and get two deer. Um, only one can be antlered, but that moment made me feel like we could do this. <laughs> nice. <laughs> like, you and Charlie this, together. Yes. Yeah. Like this is actually attainable. So we still got a few details to hash out. I'm currently looking for um, camouflage or like blaze orange camo t-shirts because a lot of people use crossbows and I just feel like I want us to have orange on, but mm -hmm. those are difficult to find. The only blaze orange camo I can find is like, you know, down winter jackets. So right. not suitable for October where we live. So, um, that's maybe a miss for the moment, but we had some cool outdoor experiences this week. I imagine it's especially difficult to find in a onesie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, now I've, I actually am decent at sewing. I've been doing it since I was pretty young. And last year I made her like a little pair of fleece camo pants for deer season. Nice. Um, so if it comes down to it, I might just buy the fabric, but in the interest of time, I'm going to yeah. try to find, yeah, something I already made. Okay. All right. Everybody <laughs> out there, if you know a hot if tip you know. on where to get <laughs> yes, please. camo t-shirt <laughs> or onesie. <laughs> Yep. Ashley wants to know. <laughs> Maddie, what have you been aiming for lately and how did it go? Um, so uh, I have been getting interested in mushrooms late, lately. Nice. Um, and uh, of course, edible and uh, medicinal mushrooms. So uh, we went out to Brennard Lake with a few friends of mine yesterday. And uh, we were out there for about an hour and a half and uh, just uh roaming around the forest so that was definitely a win um and got to see so many different flowers and streams and um yeah it was just absolutely great being outside and moving I had never never really gone out looking for mushrooms before um I am very into medicinal plants and flowers and shrubs and stuff um but mushrooms are definitely uh, a new thing for me. Um, but uh, we found a couple. Um, we found a couple of puffball mushrooms. Um, yeah. Um, but they were uh, 
past their their, their they life. puffed already <laughs> yeah um and they have some really <laughs> gooey muddy stuff inside them as well that one of my friends um pressed on and it splattered everywhere Ugh. um and it was quite a laughter just everyone just burst out laughing it was really fun um so in some ways some some hits and misses there um all in one in some ways um but I definitely want to get out and do more of that and learn more about what's edible and what isn't because it can be so sketchy with that yeah um it's definitely a field of its own I feel yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by mushrooms too, and and I'm kind of the same. I, it's there's a fear level for me with mushrooms that I don't have for other things because I feel like the identification is tricky, and yeah, the consequences can be dire. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> At least with the flowers, there's just a dead giveaway, mm-hmm. um, and it's easy to identify them and and know that okay, this one's gonna do this, and this one's gonna do this, and then get to the mushrooms there's so many different kinds and they can be so ambiguous in terms of what they look like as well so uh definitely something that I want to continue learning more about I'm definitely not there yet but uh working on it cool and yeah puffballs are one of my favorites mostly because I can identify them (laughs) (laughs) but like I've seen people like discover these giant puffballs that are like bigger than your head and I only find like the thumb size puffballs how big were the ones that you were seeing uh they were about um they would fit in the palm of your hand okay so decent good size yeah yeah fairly decent um one of them definitely has had all the spores coming out of it um but definitely past its edible life shelf life Uh yeah I want to know where people find the big ones (laughs) that's true for everything though right (laughs) story of my life where do you find the big fish and where do you find the big deer yeah (laughs) excellent well mine um you know actually kind of same with you it's just it was nice having a week off and sticking close to home I just spent a lot of time outside exploring trails and um exploring new trails which is always fun you know I've been in Missoula for over a decade and so I feel like you get stuck in the rut with these trails that you know um, but I've recently been forced. Inspired. <laughs> <laughs> That's a better word. <laughs> mm-hmm. By my canine companion to explore new trails. Um, and so that's that's um, been fruitful and lovely. Uh, but I also, my I didn't get a bear this spring season, but my dad did. He got this oh, cool. giant bear. And so we've got like 200 pounds of bear meat in his freezer. He's got 200 pounds of bear meat. <laughs> um, uh, but I have been cooking with it and it's delicious and it's, you know, it's just always fun to experiment and, um, you know, uh, figure out what flavors, um, enhance the flavor of the meat. And I've been loving that. We made, a I made an Indian curry. That's one of my holdovers. I made a Thai curry, I made, uh, what else did I make? Um, enchiladas are always good. Um, just kind of experimenting with bear meat and different recipes has been fun. I'm super curious. What does it taste like? You know, in my, so uh, spring bear tastes different than fall bear just because of what they're eating and how much fat they have on them. And I'm sure I will get a lot of pushback on this, Maddie. <laughs> So, um, but in my opinion, um, bear and in my experience, bear is a really mild flavor to it. It like, I, you can't eat it. I don't eat it as steak because it needs to be cooked well done in order to make sure that the, um, uh, the parasites in the meat are gone because bear is a carnivore. Um, Mm. so you have to cook it until it's well done. So I usually just do it as like a stew meat or as like a pulled bear, um, in a slow roast or in ground bear. To me, it's honestly, it, it's the closest thing to steak that Mm. I feel I've had in, uh, wild game, um, because it is such a mild meat. You know, it's funny, Marsha. I have I've only like tasted bear one time when I was a little kid, um, but based on what they eat, it 
it makes perfect sense that it would be a mild meat. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't, it's grasses, right? Grasses and ants and well, berries. Yes. Yeah. Primarily yeah. vegetation. Yeah. Like most, awesome. yeah, mostly vegetation, yeah. especially, yeah. I never even especially connected in the spring. those dots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's they're in the springtime. They're eating a lot of grass. They are eating a lot of bugs. Um, and then in the fall, uh, and I don't know that I've ever tasted fall bear meat, so I can't definitively talk about that, but yeah, they're eating different things in the fall because they're eating berries and that's when they do scavenge a little bit more because they're, you know, they're, what is that called when they just eat everything in sight in order to get fat? Pregnancy, no, hyperphagia. (laughs) Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and so I think the flavor is a little bit different then, but people seem to prefer in, you know, in the conversation people prefer fall bear to spring bear um so well it follows that it would be more flavorful because it would be fattier Uh uh-huh yep interesting Mm -hmm. but yeah very interesting yeah so maddie if you're if we're ever in the same vicinity wow that word stuck (laughs) vicinity (laughs) and you are open to try and bear me i would love to cook some for you i would love that thank you so much (laughs) you bet All right. Thank you so much for this conversation. It was delightful to get to know you a little bit better. Thank you so much for having me. It was an an honor being on here. And also thanks for allowing me to share about the work that I do with Lincoln Hills Cares. Yeah. Thank you for doing it. It's important work and I'm excited to to share this outdoor space with you. Thanks. Thank you for joining us this week on the Artemis podcast. We hope you are having a great week. Until next time, be bold, stay curious and get outside. Thank mm-hmm. you.